0: All right, folks, before we get to the main thing, I want to let you know that this episode of Oil & Gas Upstream is made possible by our good friends at Technip FMC. Now, you probably know them for their subsea business, but did you know that Technip FMC is doing fantastic things for the industry at the surface? The latest innovation is called E-Mission, and E-Mission will let you monitor and control vapor pressure in real time. To learn more, visit techneepfmc.com.
1: Oil and gas production is the union of natural systems with advanced science and complex engineering. Smart people across the globe create this remarkable place we call Upstream, and each day brings a new challenge. This is the Oil & Gas Upstream podcast, where we look at how these systems come together and learn from the people who make it happen. Welcome to Oil & Gas Upstream. I'm Elena Milkert, your host. Some of you know me as the former director for Oil & Gas Upstream Research at the U.S. Department of Energy. I retired from the DOE about a year ago, founded a small consultancy, and became a podcast host. Our special thanks go to our sponsor, Oliva Gibbs. Oliva Gibbs provides clear legal solutions to complex oil and gas and mineral law issues nationwide. You can learn more at oglawyers.com. And now I'd like to introduce today's guest, Skip Rhodes, geoscience consultant. Hi, Skip. Thanks for being with us today.
0: Thank you so much. I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled to be here, especially since... Ah, uh, really? You're you're letting me add on to the stuff that one of my coworkers has already contributed back in February. That's Doug Velow and I I would encourage listeners if you haven't heard Doug Velow's thing, make sure you do that.
1: Oh, next. great! Thank you, thanks, Skip. Yeah, Doug, uh, and I recorded and the show dropped uh, in February, early you know, early February, I think. So it's on the um, it's on the show website, and people can find it there easily. O-G-G-N dot com. So, well, anyway, thank you again for for joining us. You are, you know... People, a lot of people know you, love you, value the work, the contributions you've made to the industry over time, but a lot of people have not met you before, and some of our audience are not subject matter experts, they're not even in the oil business, but they drop in to hear a little bit about oil and gas, learn a little bit about, about oil and gas, and of course the other end of the spectrum of the audience is subject matter experts, people that you've worked with and you know and, and know you. So if you could just give us a little bit about your background, Skip, and... and just tell us kind of uh, some of what the things that you've been doing, your, um, how you got in the oil business, things like that.
0: Well, in contrast to uh, many of my cohorts and coworkers in the industry, um, I actually started uh, as a freshman in college. And, and in fact, I remember uh, doing a geo 101 and going to the lab And the lab instructor uh, singled me out and he said, you're the one strange person here because you're already a major. Why did you do that? And so uh, I started uh, and got the undergraduate degree in in classic geology. And then I did a uh, I did a master's in uh, basically uh, seismic stratigraphy. Um, I actually uh, I was in that age group. Uh, where if you want to stay in school, you needed to join ROTC. And I ended up with my commission in the Corps of Engineers, and I spent six years on active duty. Wow,
1: well, thank you for your service.
0: Well, thank you. And and I can say that I grew up a lot in that six years, and I made the difficult decision to... um, Go, you know, basically revert to reserves and go on to the Australian National University for a doctorate, and it was Australia um, and the the Australian industry that kind of uh, uh, opened the door and and uh, uh, learned. Well, (laughs) I learned how to sit rigs. I learned how to sit rigs in in the Australian summer. And I, I learned all the basic things about uh, the oil and gas business. Um, then uh, Gulf Oil recruited me internationally, and I mo- moved to Houston. And then basically um, I've traveled the world. I've worked in Latin America. i worked for um, several of the uh, affiliates in Venezuela. I see uh, Latin America, particularly South America, the northern part of South America, as one of the richest deposits still remaining in oil and gas. And then, of course, I came back uh, to the U.S. and I was fortunate enough to be recruited by Pioneer Natural Resources, and I spent my final 15 years in the industry uh, in, in Pioneer, and I learned an awful lot about Unconventional resources. Yeah,
1: yeah. So just to just to make sure that I got your um, background correct here. So you your um, your bachelor's is in class classical geology, and then uh, your master's is in uh, seismic stratigraphy. Is that what you shared? Where did you Where yes. did you go to yes. school there?
0: Uh, well, I was also uh, uh, University of Massachusetts and then I reverted to active duty in the Corps of Engineers, and it was following my severance uh, from active duty that I went to the Australian National University, and I worked on CWT. Ah,
1: okay, okay, and that's where you earned your doctorate? Ah, score, excellent, yes. excellent. Yep. So you had quite a bit of experience, um, and your first jobs were right into the oil and gas sector for Australia?
0: My first job was, yeah, it was, was in Australia and I was, uh, uh, I, was I was sitting rigs um, for um, uh, you know evaporite. Oh, I should say, actually, specifically Trona, which is used in the refining process of bauxite. It was a large bauxite company, and um, I joined their Trona group and I ended up sitting on rigs in the, in the central desert and. Um, Helping to look for Trona, oh, and uh, it it was a shall we say it, it was a growth experience. Yeah,
1: yeah. I um actually I had never heard of Trona. I went on a field trip um, here in Washington D.C. put together some people from the uh, government agencies along with mem- you know staffers on Congress uh, Capitol Hill and uh, went on like a week-long field trip, included, I think it was Wyoming, where we went down into a Trona mine, three yep. miles underground. Oh. And I'm a little bit claustrophobic person, but there was so much air and light, and it seemed like a little city down there. I I was not frightened at all um, about being down there, but I didn't know about Trona or what Trona was until until that point. And what do we get from Trona?
0: Well, th- of course, if you're in the bauxite business and you're mining um, and you're trying to refine bauxite, um, trona is used in the uh, smelting process, and it helps uh, separate the impurities. It mostly, helps remove uh, some of the silica uh-huh. impurities uh, in the bauxite uh-huh. ore. So it is a uh, it's a raw material that's combined with other raw materials in the smelting mm-hmm. process. Um, now, domestically, we use Trona in detergents and uh, as a wetting agent and oh, all sorts mm-hmm. of things that uh, uh, we use every day. Uh, and and it's uh, it's kind of it's another one of those uh, resources that we we don't appreciate until somebody spells it out to us and says, "Look, by the way, you know, uh, you, you just use that in your yeah, detergent."
1: Yeah, excellent, excellent. Well, so how did you get from Massachusetts to Australia
0: well well, you don't you you don't really do oil and gas in in Massachusetts Uh, it was a great you know I went to University of Mass uh, in Amherst it was a great place to to, uh, uh, get a couple of degrees Um, I spent time skiing and I enjoyed the whole New England culture Uh, nevertheless uh, as I traveled the world on active duty with the Corps of Engineers, I realized that I needed to m- drop my anchor somewhere else. And that's really uh, when they opened the door to do the degree in Australia. And then a- after that, it was like, I'll go where the job I'll go where okay, the job is.
1: Okay, all right. So the opportunity after um, the military um, for for school, is what opened up to you. And that's how you got there. Exactly. Go, okay, good. I, I'm only asking because so many people um, are afraid to kind of make these changes, right? To, to like go where the job goes or, you know... I, I actually changed my major several times. So, I mean, I'm one of those kind of circuitous uh, travelers from where I started to where I ended up here now. So, um, but, and especially young people, as uh, the story for energy is continually in flux, you know?
0: Well, the issue for young people right now, and in fact, we deal with that at the Earth Tech Conference. We, we actually have a panel discussion, and there's a, a luncheon. That um, um, basically you attend either of those, the panel discussion of the luncheon, and and you come away with some tools that help you one bridge the generation gap because there is a generation gap in our industry right now, and and we are short of of, of young people, um, and and we're all of us are proactively including young people in our committee work and and. And giving them a, a sort of a, a vested interest in in making one of the, one or more of the society's work, the real issue is uh, how do you answer the conversation to the student that is midway through or through their undergraduate and they're pursuing their graduate work, and they say, "Well, is there an industry for me to work in?" and uh, that's a uh, uh, that's a, a, a complex question there's a, a lot of good answers to it and the easiest one is you're going to have to learn how we produce oil and gas uh, in a low carbon environment and it actually opens doors for you that maybe you don't Right, right.
1: Yes, I, I neglected to share that the um, the previous interview with Doug Vello was uh, sharing some insights about Urtech. You are very, very active in in IRTEC as well, and uh, and and now you've shared with it um, about the track uh, the uh, for interest for young people. So tell us a little bit about Urtec, um, your engagement over time, and um, and and go ahead and invite people to come up
0: well I'll conclude with an invitation but first uh, I'll tell you why you should uh, why you should care um, we're approaching the 11th year of our tech the uh, inaugural uh, conference was uh, in 2013 and it was in Houston um, to our surprise when we convened it because you you, you have to think about uh, a group of of uh, basically mid-career people who are actively working in unconventional resources and working across disciplines and what they're, what they're disadvantaged the most with regard to was cross-disciplinary uh, dialogue and, and working um, between geologists, engineers, and geophysicists. And a group of us said, well, you know, this was maybe 20, well, it was as much as two years before 2013. It took us that long to actually convene the first conference, but we ended up with 4,300 people, 15, you know, people from 15 countries and, and over 170 exhibitors, and we thought, we might have something
1: here. <laughs> yes. And
0: and and, and so uh, it has uh, lived on for eleven years. Uh, I've been with it since uh, uh, the the you know I have held various positions in it. Um, the one I enjoyed most right now is I I work with um, uh, Doug, who you have already interviewed, and we plan the um, essentially the. The general tone of the conference, and we um, set up what we call the plenary session, which is the first three hours of the conference that usually has panel discussions and a, and a, and a keynote speaker. Um, the, the background of that, which is as much as seven or eight months before the conference, is a carefully crafted statement that takes the technology that we're passionate about in this conference, because keep in mind the unusual part of this conference is that it's it's a fusion of three different professional societies. Now, we have seven additional societies that have, like, tagged on to us, but the basic founding of the conference is, is the Society of Petroleum Engineers, the AAPG, the Petroleum Geologists, and... And the geophysicists in the Society of Exploration uh, Geophysics, and so consequently, the by definition, the conference is uh, united with regard to its its material. However, each year, the the small group of us that kind of c- convene the plenary session, we pick a panel and or uh, uh, a keynote speaker that helps us bridge it to. The media, And we try to keep it as non-political as possible, very, very focused on the technology, but we ensure that it has a, uh, a link to current events because the, having a conference that's jam-packed with technical advice is great, as, but if it doesn't tie to current events, it, you've disadvantaged yeah, yeah. It and that's part I of our goal.
1: I think that's really important to point out because energy policy you know, worldwide um, has an inf- influence on <clears throat> money, on... Finance uh, ability to finance capital, and um, and and it affects all energy forms and the interplay and the balance thereof. And so it provides a context. So I think you're I think that the conference I have attended many and have spoken in many and have escorted uh, senior government officials to many. Um, and and the, and the bottom line is it is a political. There are no politics. However, there is a contents related to policy. So the policy aspects of politics is is I think that uh, is what um, you have to in, you have to be have this con this context because there's an interface of policy with technology and I worked at that interface forever and so I I mean I understand but but the but the conference is really really an exciting place tell us um, tell us more about um, what your goals are for this year's conference well
0: well. Um First of all, I want to thank you for pointing out that it, it, it the conference is each year tailored to match current events, and we we get help in doing that. We just don't do it ourselves with with uh, three magic paragraphs that we <laughs> neatly craft. Well, we spend a lot of time doing those three paragraphs, but what we try to do to the degree we can is we try to ensure that that plenary session has a person from the government a person from academia a senior person from the from, from the industry and a senior person from finance and you put all that on uh, a panel discussion they each get you know 15 minutes to to uh, essentially deliver their perspective and it it serves very nicely to do what you've witnessed. Now, okay. the 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 real work is then building the technical program, and and it it precipitates some very hard decisions. We we only have three days for this conference, and what we are trying to do is fit. Nine or ten technical sessions, four or five invited panel discussions, uh, three lunches every day, as well as ensure that there's sufficient time to uh, basically ha- have people visit the the, the 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 exhibitor hall because without our exhibitors you know it's grand to have Two to 5,000 uh, attendees. But nevertheless, if you don't fill your exhibitor hall with people who rent the space, to, basically, to provide their services to the, to the industry, you're, you're missing out, and basically, you can't fund these conferences. So consequently, we, we have to ensure that there's time for people to go to the technical sessions which are, you know, there's no shortage. Basically, you have to decide which papers you're going to miss in order to uh, make sure that you go to the ones that are the top of your list. But then you also have to save time to to walk around that, you know, 150 to 180 booths with people that are poised to basically – uh, make available to you one way or the other the latest, greatest technology. And, and in some cases right now it's the service companies that are doing the innovation and in the emerging technology because there just isn't the opportunity to, to do that in an
1: operating yeah. company. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I'd like to add a my, my two cents worth with respect to um, the exhibit hall, the exhibitors, and um, and the contribution that they make um, In my book, there's no substitute from some actual hands-on experience. And um, one thing that I've noticed is, is there's always core. So you definitely want to take a look at what unconventional rocks look like for those of us who are not geologists. Um, but also, these technologies are what make the theor- the theoretical um, expressions, uh, everything that's in the technical papers. And this is what makes it real. And if you don't have a chance to, if you don't take the time to go into the exhibit hall and really take a look at the equipment and talk with the talk with the vendors and really get an understanding of the contribution, I mean, the theory, theory is right, but only these technologies, only the actual application of machines, if you will. Um, into the subsurface. As they say, only the bit finds oil. You actually have to be engaged in the subsurface in all those multidisciplinary arenas um, in order to achieve the goals of production.
0: Absolutely. And in some cases, uh, what, what I tell people is, look, if you go to the conference and you get one good idea that you bring back to the office from a technical uh, viewpoint that you get maybe in a, in, in a paper or in a luncheon, and or you go walk the exhibit hall and spend the equivalent of, of uh, uh, a couple of happy hours there. I mean, that's how we bribe people. We, 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 and it we, works. Have a happy, we have multiple happy <laughs> and it works. You know, if you get uh, two or three contacts that uh, have new products or products that haven't yet been tested in the barhole and you bring those back to the company, well, you know, you've delivered value to your company. And that's been a challenge for us because not all companies have wanted to share. and, And what we've had to do is create a session that we call... The operators forum, and the only people who basically we fill that roster of speakers with uh, case studies with uh, operators, uh, not service companies, but with with uh, you know operating companies that actually have a, a a production volume at the end of the year, and what they're doing to, to the degree they can reveal. Their, uh, I won't say their trade secrets, but their technologies. They're reporting on case studies where they either had success or failure, or the jury is still out, one way or the other. And they're reporting their application of new technology, and and innovation, and 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 they're then they're doing it uh, basically in a very open fashion, and. Uh, I would say that uh, my own company, Pioneer Natural Resources, uh, was a great contributor to this. More recently, ConocoPhillips has done uh, amazing things with regard to uh, contributing to the Operators Forum. You, you, know, you sometimes end up with 15 to 25 papers uh, for the uh, an entire conference, if you count the Operators Forum, where operators are revealing the degree to which they, they're not necessarily passing out the corporate secrets, but they're, cast, they're passing out case studies that you can pick up and, and take back and, 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 and use in your own assets. And, and that's the value of opening the door. Even if you don't participate as a speaker or give a paper, the value that you get is listening to everyone else's yeah, case studies.
1: Yeah, There's no replacing case studies, right? All the data is there. Well, most of the data is there. And it really helps you um, have an, an understanding of what's possible. And the thing I like the best is the brain candy aspects of it in that you start to imagine what also might be possible. Or you have questions. Maybe you've tried it in your own reservoirs and you have questions. Um, and, and so the dialogue... Um, I want to say afterward the questions, if you will, some of the, that uh, discussion is just as valuable as the um, t- case studies as well because certain aspects can be fleshed out a little bit more. Oh yeah, that's a wonderful, that's a wonderful forum. What are some other features about the um, ErTech that you know, you're sho- showcasing this year? Um, and we haven't said the dates and we haven't said the location yet. Uh,
0: before I forget, then uh, I- I'll-, I'll tell you the dates. The the uh, uh, you need to. To travel to Denver on Monday the 12th, so that you're there for the opening plenary, because you don't want to open, you don't want to miss opening morning that, that starts at 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 8:15. Um, so uh, it runs from uh, essentially uh, uh, June 13th uh, through uh, the 15th, and it is jam packed, uh, basically from. Uh, 8 o'clock in the morning uh, to um, uh, 4.40 to 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, you have no shortage of things to do, and it doesn't matter if it's a panel discussion, if it's a paper, if it's a luncheon. Basically, your day is filled. And, and the, the, that is the frustrating part, is, is that you, ha- you have to miss some papers. Now, the good news is that uh, your registration fee uh, allows you access to the published portion of these papers in the AAPG uh, uh, paper database, and it's it's good for uh, a month or more. Uh, and, of course, then there is the advantage of actually meeting people uh, that you end up trading. We don't trade business cards anymore, but, you know, you trade emails. And, and, and in, in many cases, it, it, it sometimes fosters... The opportunity to uh, to 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 build uh, collaboration and 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 you know do a do a well where you try somebody else's it could be a service company's technology. This year, in terms of features, what we're trying to do is uh, wake people up to the whole uh, idea of um, incubator technology because. You know, we we know now that, uh, and and you know very well, the federal government uh, has uh, funded research groups in universities and universities, some some cases research groups and in and technologies providers. Uh, there's uh, there's cash available for emerging technology and trials and creativity. The issue is. Uh, Ensuring, you know, the issue really is getting a well board to test right. it. because you well well boards that are put at risk with emerging technology are few and far between. So uh, on our on our panel this year, we've got an interesting panel to talk about this, and we we you know our, one of our opening speakers is is Amy Henry, who is the uh, essentially the founder of uh, Unique Ventures. And, and she runs a, uh, an emerging technology incubator. And she collaborates with operating companies with regard to uh, helping prepare emerging technology and, and, and new ideas for a readiness level that is appropriate to put it down the wellbore. So it's, it's like having a, an additional person that, that grooms the technology, emerging technology, for field trials, and then you know, uh, sort of co-anchoring her on on, on this panel is uh, is Ben Dell from from Cambridge, uh, which is you know kind of represents the 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 independent, um, you know, Denver-based uh, part of our industry. Then we've got uh, uh, Clay Casper. From Devon, which is, uh, you know, to talk to us about uh, the 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 you know the the frustrations and 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 essentially emerging technology opportunities in in the mainstream, and then there's Rob Fast, uh, who is uh, also uh, in 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 involved very deeply in emerging technology at Hess. So we've got this this panel that basically helps us um, open the, the the essentially open the air tech to discussion about what's new and what what do we do to meet uh, the, the control of greenhouse gas and, and zero carbon and and how do we Handle the next decade, which is completely different from the previous decade.
1: Right. Oh, that sounds that sounds really exciting. Um, In the past, one of the features has been the U pitch. Is that still going to be part? Yes. We share with.
0: Oh, very much so. And I know you've introduced you've introduced uh, uh, Susan Nash. Uh, to your your yeah. podcast Susan was um, my very um, and, and first guest
1: I was very nervous and she was very kind <laughs> so I really appreciate that
0: <laughs> well and, and she's an excellent public speaker I've worked with her on AAPG committees uh, actually uh, she helped uh, construct the the, the, uh, the well I should say the experienced geoscience uh, education program at, at aAPG for, for years and I worked with her. And I have only admiration for her creativity, and that, that that you pitch is is something that is extremely creative, because what it does is it, it provides a forum. Now there's a time limit, and there's guidelines, and you got to register for it. But the whole point is, it's it, it's a forum in which people who are on the edge of having technology ready for the wellbore or maybe they're not quite there. Maybe the readiness level isn't quite ready for field trials, but regardless of the level, the technical readiness of their technology or their idea, it's an opportunity to get some dialogue uh, established with regard to people who might want to try it or open your technology to criticism and 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 talk about the upside downside of it, and so consequently, it is a, a, a feature that we've introduced about three years ago uh, with regard to you know in terms of gaining popularity, and and now it's an essential part of the. Conference.
1: Absolutely, and from my my addition would be the notion that there are investors who. Come, into the, come to the U-Pitch for the, for the sole purpose of looking yes. for opportunities that they might be interested in pursuing, you know, along with the um, innovators. So that's, that's, uh, that's very exciting, yeah. Well, and, and uh, one, one thing I wanted to share, I mean, we're almost at time, but b- while we're on Ertec um, is the notion of uh, the luncheon speakers. Um, I will be a luncheon speaker. I've been asked to talk about podcast and how it's changed or yes. contributed to the way yep. uh, that we talk about the oil and gas industry. So certainly I'm going to use your name there in vain and my presentation there, Skip. But um, but yeah, we are almost at our time. Um, do you have some other things you want to share? Um, I'd be happy to continue to talk about IRTEC or other things.
0: Well, I just... Wanted to remind you that um, uh, if you're a student and uh, you have some time and maybe an inexpensive place to stay in Denver, <laughs> um, you need to uh, uh, include ERTech in your calendar for this year, next year, and and. And there's lots of benefits. First of all, you get a very good grip a very very good grip on the technical opportunities in the company. You talk to both operators and exhibitors, and let's face it, uh, I wouldn't be. Uh, I spent some of my time working for a service company, and you learn a lot working for a service company. And so, uh, I would say that the value to students is uh, somewhat. Uh, underappreciated unless they have uh, a faculty uh, that is giving them guidance with regard to uh, the value and, and how you network in, in the industry. So I've already uh, preached to everyone, uh, make sure that you, even if you can only attend one day, and, and, and by the way, we, we, we make one day passes available. And whether you spend that one-day pass in the, in, the, in the trade hall and looking at exhibitors or you spend it uh, dividing your time partly to the most important papers that you want to see because the, 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 the program is on the Internet. Uh, you can pick what you want to see uh, off the Internet and, and, and do your one day. And, and, and there's also a student discount, so if you're a student... You know think about oh,
1: absolutely there's no replacing the networking opportunities and um, it's it's I want to say it's hard to network in the sense that it's uh, you have to come out of yourself and reach out but people are very welcome welcoming to students students are like gold at these present at these um, conferences so students have a very special place in everyone's heart because everyone was a student once and understands the challenges and and uh, and welcomes people who uh, want to take um, take a chance on themselves and talk about what they're doing, what they're interested in, and who are interested in learning. So that's that's a wonderful, wonderful aspect. And a one-day experience is definitely worth it. Uh, it will be a very filled day, um, but if you've never been before, that's uh, you know something you definitely want to try. And if you have been there before, then you know what the value is, and you're going to want to come again. So. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, no. This has been uh, this has been so interesting, Skip. I, I so appreciate you being with us, Doctor Skip Rhodes, geoscience consultant. Thank you so much for being our guest today and for sharing about your contributions to the oil and gas upstream sector, especially tech
0: Well, and thank you for giving me an opportunity to. Uh capture your podcast. Absolutely.
1: Audience. Absolutely. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Please give us a review and tell us what you'd like and what you'd like to hear more about on future podcasts. This is Elena Milford, your host for Oil & Gas Upstream. More next time. Join us again next week on the Oil & Gas Upstream podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.